Welcome to the Bob Siegel Show podcast on the Cross Global Media Radio Network. Visit cgmradio.com slash bob to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. How does one go about serving and obeying the God of the universe? Well, my friend, the Bible teaches that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Says it in exactly those words. And should you ask him to forgive you of your sins? Should you invite his spirit to live inside of you to direct your life? He will also equip you for the task. Now, part of this equipping is that he's going to give you a special gift. Today, we continue our series that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks on spiritual gifts. In Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 8, they list seven spiritual gifts. I mentioned last week that there's other kinds of spiritual gifts in other places, but I believe these are the seven dominant types of ministry. And I believe every person out there that has given their life to Christ has at least one of these gifts. If you give your life to Christ, you can get a gift too. The gift of prophecy, the motivation to reveal honest motives by presenting spiritual truth. These gifts, again, have to do more with our motive than our skill. The gift of service, the motivation to demonstrate love by meeting practical needs. The gift of teaching, the motivation to research and authenticate truth. The gift of exhortation, the motivation to stimulate spiritual growth through practical counsel. The gift of giving a type of service similar to the gift of service, but this person primarily meets material need and helps people financially or just gives them stuff. The gift of leadership, sometimes also referred to as the gift of ruling or administration. The motivation to oversee group functions and stimulate others to ministry. This is somebody who's usually good at pointing out what other people's spiritual gifts are. And a very interesting one. Last but certainly not least, the seventh gift, the gift of mercy, the motivation to comfort others by showing empathy. Now, last week, I went through the gift of prophecy with some detail. So uh, we'll move on now to the gift of service. And there was a woman in my group. This was when I was out at UC Santa Barbara. Her name was Diane. She would babysit for my wife and I a lot. We had two toddlers at the time. And Diane was also a quick volunteer. So one of the things I did when I started this ministry, I had about nine people in my living room the first year, well, the first quarter. It was about 20 outgrowing the living room because we were just in a little townhouse by the last quarter. And we had about 50. So we had to move to a, a room off campus beginning of the next year. By the time we were out of there, there was several hundred. I mean, a hundred that went through and graduated and then another hundred. I mean, God really blessed that ministry. So in order to do things properly... I had to do what Moses' father-in-law Jethro encouraged him to do. And no, I don't mean Jethro from the Beverly Hillbillies to all you baby boomers out there. But this was Moses' father-in-law named Jethro. He said, you can't arbitrate all these things yourself. You need to pick some elders to help you. And so Moses picked 70 elders to listen to some of the cases. Well, by the time I got to my second year, I couldn't do everything myself. I had been meeting every one of my students one-on-one. -on -one. The next year, I took those students and I taught a leadership training class. And then I said, I'm going to start meeting with you one-on-one, -on -one, but you you need to find people to meet one-on-one, -on -one, to have them ask you questions, to find out how they're doing your life. And then I also want you to find several people, three or four, to meet in a group. We call them agape groups. Agape is the Greek word for love. Uh, and in these agape groups, people were making themselves accountable, sharing how their week went, praying for each other. So each agape group leader would lead their group and then would meet with each person in their agape group once a week. And then I would meet with every one of my leaders or about 
20 of them once a week. And then we would have leadership training classes. And in these leadership training classes, they learned uh, about spiritual gifts. Some of the material I'm sharing with you, I shared with them. They would also learn Bible hermeneutics. That's the science of interpreting ancient manuscripts to learn how to read the Bible in context, to know how to do a, a Greek word study. or not, not that you have to learn Greek, but there's there's sources. And particularly back then, you didn't even have the internet. They had to go get actual library books or go to a bookstore. But these days with the internet at your disposal, you can always look up a Greek word as the New Testament was written in Greek or a Hebrew word as the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. Uh, So I would teach them that. And then the third part of the class was we would just talk every week about uh, leading a small group. What do you do when somebody keeps interrupting? Or what do you do when it's somebody's turn? They go on and on. And, And Diane, this woman in our group, immediately volunteered to to lead one of them. And I used to tell people, you can lead your group any way you want. You can go through a book of the Bible. You can read some book written by a Christian. Maybe you'll just pray, uh, but I at least want some sharing. I at least want a time where people are, are uh, opening up about their lives. I didn't give them material. I didn't write the material. I, I am not a micromanager. I believe that in leadership, you train people to do leadership and then turn them loose. The idea is for them to learn how to think for themselves and give their group their own unique personality. I didn't want Bob Siegel cookie cutters. I also do that when I bring in a guest speaker on a retreat. I always tell the person, just speak on whatever you want, because what you want to talk about is what you'll be excited about. What you want to talk about is what you'll be passionate about. So anyway, we put Diane in charge of an agape group because she volunteered. Within a couple of months, she came to me and said, I'm just not enjoying leading the group. I can do it, but I'm having no satisfaction. I don't think I do it very well. I really want to serve this ministry, and I really want to do something, but I don't think leading a Bible study or a discussion or even a prayer meeting is me. Also, right away, I said, well, look, hey, Diane, uh, that's fine. Uh, I appreciate that you gave it a, a shot. She goes, but I still want to serve. I still want to do something. I said, well, what do you think you would like to do? What do you think your gift is? She says, well, it's, it's unusual. I don't know if I even have a gift. Now, of course, she did have a gift, but the reason she didn't think that is usually in, in these Christian campus fellowships or churches we get involved in, we have what we call the flashy gifts. Now, the flashy gifts aren't really any better or more important than anything else, but flashy meaning people that have more attention. Somebody who leads a Bible study, somebody who preaches a sermon, somebody who's going out leading people to Christ, the talkative gifts, the noisy gifts, okay, the gifts that sometimes feed the ego more. So she didn't have that, so she was just thinking she wasn't spiritual and making that mistake of, of equating strong spirituality with strong personality. They're not the same thing. The Apostle Paul did not have a strong personality. When people met him in person, they were amazed that this man could have written such weighty, authoritative letters because in person, he was like a Ben Carson. He was meek and mild. He talked with a soft-spoken voice. So Diane says, I I just, I don't know if I have a gift. I don't think I fit in anywhere. I said, well, there must be something you like doing. She goes, it doesn't fall into any category. I I loved babysitting for you. I I loved doing errands for people. If you needed secretarial work done, I'd type it. She started listing all these projects that some people would consider mundane. And I said, oh, I see. We were giving you a position of leadership, but you have the gift of service. Now, that's a very important gift. You've heard of the board of deacons in your church. Deacon means servant. I mentioned that last week that the word in Greek that they translate as servant and minister and deacon, all three of those words all come from the same Greek word, which is similar to deacon. It's diakonos. It's a spiritual gift, the gift of service. And what an important gift. This is somebody who demonstrates the love of Christ. They just want to do things for you. It can be anybody from the missionary doctor who goes overseas to cure patients in India, and while he's there, he shares the gospel, to somebody who's, who's a janitor. 
but he loves helping out in any way that they can. Now, we're all supposed to be servants. Again, each of these seven things is stuff that we're all supposed to do. But if you're gifted at it, you're going to do it better and you're going to teach others to do it better. So if somebody's leading a Bible study, they don't go, well, I have the gift of teaching. I don't need to help put away chairs. No, it doesn't work that way. But I'll bet you that a servant would start putting away the chairs before anybody even asked for a volunteer. The next one's also in the mouth area. It's called the gift of teaching, the motivation to research and authenticate truth. Now, what's the difference between a prophet and a teacher? Well, a prophet's more like a preacher. When you hear a sermon... You're hearing something very emotional. Yes, in a sermon, they're, they're quoting scripture. And yes, in a Bible study, they're quoting scripture. But it's a little bit different because a prophet's simply telling you what's true and invoking some kind of emotional response. If you hear a sermon, you're usually provoked to d- either do something for your neighbor or get closer to God or repent of some sin. It calls for some kind of action. Whereas a teacher is just explaining why something happens to be true. Now, one of the mentors in my life when I first became a Christian in college in San Jose, California, was a man named John Matson had not been in touch with the man for years. I, I assume he's still around, but he was just a wonderful person. And the first time I went to one of his Bible studies, I was in a very big church. So I attended the college group. He was kind of their guest speaker for about 10 weeks. And he taught a series in Proverbs. Now you need to understand this is the days before the internet. I mean, computers existed. They had those big reel-to-reel things that were the size of your wall somewhere. But this is in the early 70s. So in those days, when you wanted to do research, you went into honest-to-goodness libraries, you cracked open books, and you didn't just have all these files on your computer that you could access. But those that have the gift of teaching, boy, when they call there's a Bible study, you're really studying the Bible. You get into the Greek participles, and you get into the historical background. Now, there's another gift called the gift of exhortation, which I'm going to look at in a moment. That's the person who is very practical. And when somebody with the gift of exhortation teaches a Bible study, they they do it very differently than someone with the gift of teaching. When an exhorter teaches a Bible study, you, you start with the scripture, and then you immediately get into all kinds of personal illustrations, and then you go around and you say, how does this apply to your life? But when a teacher does it, they'll say, okay, you've heard people say there's a trinity. Let me show you where the Bible teaches there's a trinity. See, over here it says there's only one God. But in this verse, it says Christ was God. But in this verse, it says the Father was God. In this verse, it says the Holy Spirit's God. And in this verse, again, it says it's only one God. Put them together, you get uh, somehow God is three persons, but somehow he's one God. They like to explain where they got it from. Now, oftentimes when a teacher is done teaching, <laughs> somebody with the gift of exhortation, and, and the exhorter may not even know he has the gift of exhortation. And a teacher may not even know he has the gift of teaching. As I mentioned last week, God doesn't wait till we learn what our spiritual gift is to start using us. Uh, an exhorter might come up to a teacher and say, well, that was an interesting Bible study, but when you're explaining the Greek and giving the history of what the city of Colossae was like and what river flows through it, that has absolutely nothing to do with the fact that the Fergusons are going through a divorce. And then the other person says, well, we're talking about the word of God. Yeah, but could you make it more practical? Practical? Just reading it. Just reading the word of God makes demons shudder. But you see, we all look at life through the special lens and burden and motive that God gave us. Somebody with the gift of teaching should teach those kinds of Bible studies. If another couple is struggling with a divorce or going through something in their life, maybe they don't need that strong of a Bible study right now. Maybe they'd be better in an accountability group or a place where you pray or a place where you do go through the Bible, but it's more devotional, more inspirational. It's not one size fits all with God. Now, Jesus did all seven of these things, and he did them well. And it wasn't all one size fits all with Jesus. We'll look later on today about the times when Jesus used these. 
But when I was under the Bible study teaching of John Matson in the book of Proverbs, I was just amazed that this guy was so thorough. Who would take the time to type out every proverb on an index card? and then categorize them. Well, somebody with the gift of teaching, which somebody who's a teacher makes an excellent student too. And those of you that have taught Bible studies, the person that's always raising his hand and saying, now, where do you read this in the Bible? Well, I've looked that up. And in context, it doesn't seem to be saying what you're saying. It is, boy, you take the Bible out of context, you can make it sound like anything. So again, you don't have to be actually formally teaching to discover you have the gift of teaching. Those of you who, when you're listening, you want the truth authenticated. You want to know where the scripture says it. You don't want them to just repeat something they heard from their pastor. You probably have the gift of teaching and should probably be teaching a Bible study of your own. So that's the motivation to research and authenticate truth. Exhortation, then, is the motivation to stimulate spiritual growth through practical counsel. Now, I was discipled by a man named Bob Berger, and Bob Berger was an exhorter. Now, an exhorter has uh, one thing in common with the prophet. They both tend to be blunt, but the prophet is usually blunt in talking to groups, and the prophet's pretty good about making you feel guilty about your sin and calling you to repentance. An exhorter will teach you how to repent. He'll take you by the hand and walk you through it a step at a time. I mentioned last week that whereas God gives us the motives and the drives and the burdens, turning it into a skill is up to us or up to others to help us with it. And when we have some polish and finesse, then somebody who's naturally blunt, like an exhorter, someone who's naturally blunt, like a prophet, will learn to not be so blunt so fast. Bob Berger, he was blunt pretty quickly with me. Now, I, I needed to hear it often, but I would sit down with him and he'd say, well, how are things going with that young lady you're dating? I'd go, well... I'm going through a lot of jealousy lately, Bob. And then he'd get out a slip of paper and he'd start writing. He says, okay, well, jealousy comes from insecurity, which usually means you're doubting the love of God, which usually means you don't have self-esteem. These are people that would make good psychologists. Now, I have a real problem with Freudian psychology, but I'm not one of those Christians who says it's wrong to go to a psychologist. Psychology just means a study of the mind. You know what the Greek word is for soul? Psyche. Psyche. So uh, psychology can be very spiritual. It just means a study of the mind. If, if your psychologist isn't taking spirituality seriously, then you might want to find a different psychologist. But, but anyway, exhorters make good psychologists, good counselors, marriage and family counselors. A pastor, one of the gifts that I think a good pastor has is the, the ability to do pastoral counseling. Some pastors are better at preaching. I think churches that have a multiplicity of elders, it's very wise you want balance to have a pastor who's a preaching pastor, another one who's a teaching pastor, another who's a counseling pastor. But there is also the model in the scripture of a person like Timothy who did several things. And uh, Timothy was good at exhorting and at preaching and at teaching. And we usually call that person the senior pastor. Or if it's a small church that only has one, usually uh, if they're only going to have one church, the pastor's got to have some skills in, in leadership, in exhortation, in preaching and teaching. So there's a few of these combined gifts. I mentioned last week, you start with one gift, I believe. But then if you're around other people a lot, God can use them and let their gift rub off on you. So Timothy probably started with one gift. Maybe he started with exhortation, but by being around Paul, who was a teacher, being around others who were preachers, other gifts grew, being around people that were good in administration, he learned administration. Now, uh, what are the misuses of a gift like exhortation? Well, a, a good counselor, and in any of you who've gone to a good counselor, know that they're very good at listening. And that makes them qualitatively different from the prophet. But like the prophet, the exhorter sooner or later will stop listening and start giving advice. 
Uh, an exhorter in the raw, unrefined stage will offer advice even when he or she is not asked for it. You need to understand that the word in Greek for exhort is actually encouragement. It's supposed to be the gift of encouraging. It's not supposed to be somebody who goes around offering unsolicited advice. I mentioned before that the Bible has a name for unsolicited advice. It's called being a busybody. But we, I'll give you an example. We had a fellow, I'm going to leave him, him nameless, but we had a fellow in my Santa Barbara ministry, UC Santa Barbara. He was one of our student leaders. He had the gift of exhortation, but he needed a little finesse and polish. He came to me one day and he said, Bob, and this is when our group had gotten pretty big. We were having about a hundred come by this. He says, Bob, I'm, I'm really troubled. I'm really depressed. I don't think anybody in this group appreciates me. I said, really? Well, I'm sorry to hear that. I, I, I think people like you, but if, if you have this concern, I'm sure it's not in a vacuum. What's making you feel that way? He goes, well, they, I try to do things for them and they don't seem to appreciate it. You'd think I'd get a thank you once in a while, but instead they kind of shine me off. I said, oh, well, tell me what kinds of things you're doing for them. He says, well, one of the things I do is I, I go out of my way to point out areas in their life that they could improve, and I point out sins in their life. So I said to him, let, let me say this as carefully as I can. You just asked me for some advice. And because you asked me for advice, and only because you asked me, I'm going to give you the best advice you ever heard. Never give advice unless you're asked. See, a good exhorter, a good person with the gift of exhortation or encouragement, as it really means in Greek, they'll learn to be a listener first. And then, of course, sooner or later, they will start giving advice. But sometimes it's in the misuses of our gifts and the raw, unrefined stages of our gifts that we discover we had it. So, so far, we've done the gift of prophecy, the gift of serving, the gift of teaching, the gift of exhortation, the gift of giving. This is a type of service concerned primarily with meeting material need. Now, I like this gift. I'm a full-time Christian missionary. I worked for Missions Door for many, many years. I do it more independently now. But I'm financially freed up to do the things I do because people interested in my ministry make contributions. I, have you noticed I'm not one of those radio shows that tells you where you can send the money in? I'm trying to break that image, that stereotype. Wouldn't want to discourage an admirable impulse, but I don't even put information on my website about supporting me or anything. But there are about 45 individuals who make pledges and, and free me up financially to do ministry. So somebody who does what I do is very indebted to people with the gift of giving. Now, again, you don't have to have the gift of giving to give. We're all commanded to give to God's causes. Somebody with the gift of giving does it a lot. This is a person who's very good at making money. And they were probably good at making money before they became Christians. These are real thrifty businessmen. And after they become Christians, they, they want to give away a lot of what they have. Now, I'll never forget, I was asked to speak at a church in Southern California. And this is when I was working for Missions Door. And usually when I would speak at a church raising support, they'd give me an opportunity to preach. And of course, it's always fun to get up and preach. But this particular time, he said, well, we're not going to have you preach. We're going to have you give your testimony for about 10 minutes. And people enjoyed hearing my testimony because I was converting to Christianity out of a Jewish family. And that was not the most common thing to see. So that was kind of an enigma. And of course, I was saved through the same campus ministry that I was working with, Campus Ambassadors, part of Missions Door. So it was an interesting testimony. But of course, initially I was disappointed because uh, I love to preach. That's my gift, the gift of prophecy, the gift of preaching. And he even made a little joke. He says, well, as I know sometimes missionaries come through and they want to preach. But, uh, you know, really, if you give a nice sound bite, people sometimes respond better. That Sometimes I'll tell them, do you want to preach or do you want to get some support? Well, at that moment, I was thinking, well, I guess I'd like to preach. Anyway, they had somebody up there, and he was a phenomenal preacher. Now, he preached as good as a prophet. It was emotional. 
It was stirring. It was moving. It was charismatic. It was entertaining. You were laughing. You were moved. You were crying. It was as if he was a prophet, but all he was doing was encouraging people to give. He was like somebody at an auction or a fundraiser, raising funds. And he spoke after I gave my testimony. Here's this guy, one of the most dynamic preachers I've ever heard, and yet his gift is the gift of giving. And he gets up there and he looks out at this congregation and he says, if you could listen to a young man like Bob Siegel who was disowned by his parents because he had an encounter with Christ and now spends his time going out to the college campuses to reach your sons and daughters with the gospel against the stuff that their teachers are teaching them and the professors who are atheists? If you could not support a man like this, if you could not support Bob Siegel, you're insane! Oh my goodness, ladies and gentlemen, I was never in my life so glad that they didn't allow me to preach that morning. I'm thinking, you preach it, brother. I'll come up there and turn the pages. That was one kind of person with the gift of giving. I had another friend. Uh, his name was Dick Campbell. Now, he was a businessman, and I met him because I spoke at some Christian business meetings. And it, he wasn't one of my regular supporters, but at times he wanted to just make a contribution to my ministry. And he'd bring me to his office, and he'd walk up to his uh, secretary, and he'd say, can you write a check for $100 from the Lord's account? Listen to the sound of that, the Lord's account. These are people that are usually talking a lot about tithing and giving, and they're encouraging other people to do the same. Uh, but we got to be careful because a lot of times you'll hear them say, well, to the degree that you give, God's going to bless you. Well, that's true as a general rule, but there's exceptions. We have times we look at books like the book of Job, books like the book of Ecclesiastes. You know, I mentioned Proverbs earlier. Proverbs gave a lot of rules, but in case you're thinking the Bible didn't come out of a culture that knew nuances and gray areas, Job... And Ecclesiastes was very nuanced. Proverbs would say, if you're a fool, you're going to come to ruin. If you're a wise man, you're going to prosper. If you're a righteous man, you're going to prosper. If you're a wicked man, you're going to come to ruin. But then Job says, well, what about the times when the wicked people succeed and the righteous people don't prosper? They ask those questions. So it's not always a hard and fast rule. And that's something that somebody with the gift of giving needs to understand. Because in their case, it is going to always work. Or, or I should say usually work. God's going to keep giving them money. Why? Well, Use your head because God, if he gave us a gift, he wants us to keep using our gift. So if he gave them the gift of giving, he's going to keep giving them stuff to give. There's a line from the movie uh, in Hello, Dolly, where Horace Van de Gelder, played by Walter Matthau, he says, I've always thought money was like manure. It's not worth anything unless it's spread around. That's the way somebody with the gift of giving is. They, they want to take the money and they want to spread it around. And, and so God keeps giving them money. So they're, they're thinking, well, if other people did the same thing, God will bless them. But we all have different gifts and God doesn't interact with all of us the same way. Sometimes we're, we're ordained and determined to go through a trial for a certain period of time because God might care about something more than our material need. We're talking about somebody with the gift of giving, and he had gotten up and he shared this story during the Depression. He had only a dime to his name, he says, and they passed the plate. And if I put my dime in the offering plate, I would be giving up every bit of money I had to my name, but I put it in. I trusted God. And as a result of that, God blessed me and made me a multi-millionaire. And he would get up and he'd tell that story and people would be amazed. So the next time he spoke, he would tell the story again. And he probably did it about a hundred times until one day he was sharing the story again. And I had only a dime to my name, but I put it in the offering plate. Anyway, I gave God everything I had and he made me a multi-millionaire. I'm a millionaire to this day. And a lady walked up to him afterwards. She said, I dare you to do it again. I dare you to take everything you have now and put it away. You see, the point here is just a story. The point here 
is people with the gift of giving, God keeps prospering them so that they can give. But when they go around saying, well, if you give, God's going to prosper you, as a general rule, that is true. There's a biblical principle that says, which is so you reap. But there are exceptions to the rule. We have to be very, very careful because with our gifts, we are looking through life with one particular set of lenses. The next gift is the gift of leadership, sometimes called the gift of ruling or administration, the motivation to oversee the group and stimulate others to ministry. I remember when uh, I first started teaching Bible studies, I'd been a Christian for about a year and I was teaching Bible studies in our college department at the First Baptist Church in San Jose. And about 60 students that came, we did a Bible study on Wednesday night. And we had a president who, you know, there were people that were elected to office. I wasn't one of the officers, but I was teaching. We had a guy named Steve Crawford and he was just an excellent president. He was warm and congenial and he was always encouraging me and he was always encouraging others. And once in a while he'd call me on the phone and say, hey, Bob, this is Steve. Just wanted to see how you're doing. Or he'd remind me that we're going to have a retreat or something. Well, after about a year, Steve decided to step down, got busy with other projects. He still attended the group, but he wanted to step down from leadership. So they said, we need a new president. Well, everybody assumed that because I was teaching good Bible studies, I'd make a good president. So they elected me the president of the college department. I was a horrible president. I've learned some things about leadership since then, but at that time, I was a horrible president. I remember one time there was a guest speaker slated to come, and it was Sunday night, and we were in our room, and it was a nice big room, almost like a living room, but it was at the church. There were sofas, and people could sit on the carpet or sit in regular chairs, and the the, the person that was supposed to speak just didn't show up. We're sitting there for 10 minutes. I'm twiddling my thumbs. My best friend turns to me and goes, Bob, take control. And I turned to him, and I whispered. I said, well, what do you expect me to do? He's not here. Well, Steve Crawford was sitting there, and all of a sudden, he spontaneously said, hey, why don't we just go around right now and share what the Lord's been doing in our life? And he kind of saved the situation. You see, you don't have to be in a position of leadership to lead. Steve did that naturally. Now, he called me a few days later. He says, hey, I want to apologize. I hope that didn't embarrass you. That that wasn't my role to jump in. I said, hey, no, I appreciated it. I, I didn't know what to do. He says, well, I see something needs to be done. I just do it. Again, you do not have to already be in an official ministry to already be using your gift because God gave it to you long ago. And you've been using it, whether you've been calling it by that gift title or not. Somebody with the gift of leadership may not even be a pastor or a Bible study. This is somebody who you're at a party and the party's dragging. And he goes, hey, why don't we just get up and play charades? Or let's play taboo or let's play trivial pursuit. They see a problem in a group. This is usually somebody who's very good at spotting other people's gifts and pointing it out to them. They like seeing the body of Christ work together as a whole. Whereas an exhorter is interested in the individual growth of a person, someone with the gift of leadership is interested in the health of a group as a whole. The last one's called the gift of mercy. That's the motivation to comfort others by showing empathy. Now, somebody with the gift of mercy is like the exhorter, very good at listening. The difference is that an exhorter sooner or later will stop listening to your problems and he'll give you advice. Someone with the gift of mercy could listen all day long. He or she could listen to the cows come home. And there's a place for that because there's times you don't need advice. There's times where you just want somebody to listen. There's times where you just want somebody to hear you out. It's an art to listen. Some of us don't listen very well. A lot of times you're listening to somebody talk and, you know, let's be honest, you're sitting there thinking about what you're going to say when they're done. And you probably aren't even really hearing them or you're hearing bits and pieces. Or we jump in or we segue. We do what they call roadblocking. Somebody talks about something. Oh, let me tell you about what happened to me when I went to Denver. Oh, that reminds me of the time I went to Denver. Next thing you know, you're telling the story. It's an art to listen. We had a woman in our ministry. Her name was Karen. She was very good at listening. But 
sometimes people that are good at listening can be misunderstood by the opposite sex. Now, you have some pretty young lady who's in college, and she meets some guy who's going through a rough time, and she's listening with empathy and compassion. Nobody's ever listened to him before like this. He's thinking, oh, she digs me. She must have the hots for me. I, I, sometimes these women in my group would come, oh, I met this guy and told him a little bit about Christ. He called me that night on the phone and we talked for two hours. I said, did you? Oh, no, no, no. It's not what you think, Bob. We talked about Jesus for two hours. I said, yeah, but if you had been a Zen Buddhist, he'd have talked about Zen Buddhism for two hours. If you had been into Chinese pottery, he would have talked to you about that for two hours. So this person's very misunderstood by the opposite. At one time, Karen came, uh, she, I was out in the university center having some lunch. She walked right up to me and plopped a guy, somebody that she'd met out on the street, it seemed. And, and she just says, uh, he wants to talk to you, Bob. I said, what are you talking about? He says, well, he wants to hear the gospel. Of course, the guy hadn't said a word. I'm hearing Karen say that he wants to hear the gospel. I'm not hearing anything from him. And she says, I'll give you guys some privacy. And she walks away. And I'm feeling bad for the poor guy. In my raw, unrefined stage, I was would have plowed right in. So, well, here's what you need to do to avoid hell. But this, I, I had seasoned a little bit. And I could tell that the guy really didn't want to be here. I wasn't absolutely sure, but it sure looked that way. So I said, do you want to be here? I'm hearing Karen say that you want to talk to me. Do you really want to do this? Or did you just do this to please her? He goes, I got to tell you, man, this is just freaking me out. I don't really want to be here. I said, okay, well, we don't have to talk. Well, after he calmed down, as I'm looking back, I think he did have a couple of questions about things. But sometimes these people are very impulsive. Uh, Karen brought a puppy home one day and found out from her landlord that she wasn't allowed to keep it. I say found out. She already knew that. She was hoping the landlord would change his mind. She found out that he was going to make her honor the terms of the contract she had signed. So she asked my wife and I if we wanted the puppy. And of course, it was an adorable puppy. But see, she was bringing home strays, whether it's a stray guy, whether it's a stray puppy. These people are empaths. Now, that's a very important gift. And a lot of times, someone with the gift of mercy doesn't get along well with a prophet. Because again, there's different kinds of love. The prophet's into tough love. I love you enough to warn you that you better get off your butt and get serious about your life and take some stock in yourself. And the person with the gift of mercy is going, whoa, how would you like it if somebody talked to you like that? Why do you have to be so preachy? Can't you just listen? The Bob Siegel Show podcast is a production of Bob Siegel and Cross Global Media. Visit us online and subscribe to the show at cgmradio.com slash bob.